So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the power of the at-fault mindset and how taking ownership for everything that goes wrong in your life leads to a future where more things tend to go right. All right, so I have a confession to make. I can't stand following the herd because if I do, then the best that I can be is average. And I have zero interest in average. I want remarkable. And the only way to do that is to think different. So I'm studying game changers, trailblazers, rule breakers, awesome makers, and those crazy ones who are looking to change the world and sharing what I've learned so you can make remarkable happen in your life. My name is Dean Dwyer, and this is The Mindset Show. Hey, how are you doing? Dean Dwyer, welcome to another episode of The Mindset Show. Um, If you've been following along, then you know that I'm in my uh, podcast studio, and my podcast studio is me in my dad's car, which is in his garage, but it works wonderfully well. Last week, I was recording in minus 25 degrees Celsius weather. Today, Zero degrees Celsius. A lot different. I should be wearing shorts. It's that much warmer than it was last week. Okay, shorts is a bit of a stretch, but uh, much, much more enjoyable to be recording today. So, um, yeah, today I'm actually talking about the at-fault mindset. And um, I just want to first share the inspiration for this. It it was something that, to some degree, I, I there are certain... Like throughout my life, there are moments when things happen and I have sort of had the the foresight to look back and think, wow, like that was totally my fault. But it's sort of uh, I sort of picked and chose. (laughs) I want to say pick and choose, but I pick and chose when I wanted to adopt that mindset. It wasn't consistent. There were other times when things happened and I went into defense mode and uh, or blame game mode, you know, where not my fault, it's other people's fault and those sorts of things. But that actually shifted dramatically when I heard a guy by the name of David Hannemeyer Hansen. Now, um, I'm a big fan. Online, he's known as DHH. He was being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. I'm a big fan of him because he is the co-founder of Basecamp, which is a uh, a phenomenal, I've mentioned Basecamp before, I will mention it again, him and Jason Freed are, are, are co-founders of this uh, amazing software program. It's a, a, a project management software program. But what fascinates me most about these two guys is their thinking is so non-conformist. Uh, they, they essentially, whatever everybody else is doing, they're doing the opposite. And I'm fascinated with people like that. So he was on the Tim Ferriss show and um, he wrote an article and, and I believe the title was, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but I believe the title was, uh, It's Always Your Fault. And so uh, Tim Ferriss was interviewing him and Tim asked him to just go into more detail about this article. And I took out uh, an edited clip Um, from that that I want you to listen to. It's always your fault is recognizing that you're part of all systems. I am in some way part of everything that goes on. Whether I'm involved in a project or not involved in the project, I set up some of the outlines. I set up some of the frameworks. I helped create some of the culture that led to what happened. 
Um, it's one of the things I keep trying to hammer into race teams as well. Uh, race teams, a lot of times, they they love these things of like, oh yeah, just happened. I mean, you, I mean, it's just a bad luck. And if you just write it off as bad luck, you're in the short term escaping some pain of accepting your complicity, as you said, in the outcomes. But you're also not learning anything. And if you're not learning anything, how are you going to make anything better? How are you going to prevent the quote unquote bad luck from happening next time? So what I found interesting about that was that it really began to get me thinking about this idea of adopting that into my life, that particular mindset, adopting that into my life um, for everything in my life that goes wrong. Whenever it goes wrong, it is my job to recognize that I played a role in that and to accept full responsibility for that. Um, and that from that, there was going to be these amazing things that I would get from it. So let me, let me sort of frame all this with a story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened a few years ago. And then from that story, I'm going to pull out all the, the different lessons that I learned as a result of being willing to uh, to take the take the blame uh, for everything that happened, and when you listen to the story, you'll realize, like, dude, you were to blame, but I didn't take the blame initially. Uh, it took me about four or five days before I sort of transitioned into the mindset that I'm talking about today. So back in 2016, my father and my niece were coming to Toronto. They were going to uh, they were taking they were flying into Toronto, and then they were going to take a train from Toronto to Niagara Falls, which is about, um, I want to say, three or four hours um, by train to get to Niagara Falls. And I was going to go with them. So when they when they arrived in Toronto, um, uh, the, the following day, I was going to meet them at the train station and I was going to go with them for a couple of days, for the couple of days that they were going to be in Niagara Falls. So uh, they come in on a Friday. I I I they decided that uh, my father decided that he wanted to stay downtown in a hotel near the train station. So I met them on Friday night. And one of the things that we did is I took them down to the train station so that my father knew where it was. Um, but we also uh, that night we decided where we were going to meet the next day. So we went down, we picked the spot. And we were like, okay, we are going to meet here tomorrow. So our train was leaving at 8.05 in the morning. So we were going to meet uh, at 7.15. We already had the tickets, but we were going to meet in a particular spot at 7.15. So, um, uh, and one of the things that, uh, so on the way home, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So my father and my niece go back to their hotel. I am uh, I I live in an area where I can just jump on the subway, and the subway will take me right down to the train station. It takes me about twenty minutes. So on the subway ride home, I was thinking about this situation, and one of the things that I know about my father is if my father says that he's going to be somewhere at seven fifteen, he's going to be there at six forty five. Uh, he is never ever late and he has done this his whole life like if he has said he's coming to pick me up somewhere he was always early in fact i always i always bug him and not bug him but i always laugh um he some days um, during the week he will pick my niece up after school she finishes school at three o'clock uh he's usually at the school at about 220 
So he's there about 40 minutes before school ends because he doesn't want to be late. That and and that's that's my dad has always been that way. And so I know that's really important to him. So as I was heading back home that night, Friday night, I'm like, you know what? Um, I don't want to mess around with being late because I know that that you know that, that that's that's not going to end well for me if I don't show up at 7:15. So I made the decision that I was going to get up earlier than I had originally planned. I was the subway started running at 6 a.m. I would catch the first subway down to the subway station, down to the train station story. So I would be there by about 6.15, 6.20 and there was a Starbucks just down the street. It was about a seven minute walk and so I would go over to the Starbucks and I would uh, send a message to my dad saying that I was downtown and then I would do work for about an hour or maybe 40 minutes, whatever it was. And then I would walk over to the train station and I would meet them at the at the designed um location that we had determined in advance. So that's my plan. So the next day I get up early. I'm at the train station at six o'clock. I get down to the, or sorry, I'm at the subway at six o'clock. I get down to the train station. It's about 620. I walk by, I make sure that I know exactly, um, the fastest route to get to, um, the place that we say that we're going to meet. And then I walk over to Starbucks. I'm there at 625. I grab my coffee. And so I I message my father and I say, hey, listen, I am already here. Um, I'll see you, you know, I'll see you soon. So uh, at, at 615, sorry, at 715, um, I pack up my stuff and I walk down to the, uh, you know, to the train station. And I get there. It's Again, it took me about, I think, seven or eight minutes. I think it's 7.23. But I, I I know that as soon as I get within visual range of my father and my niece, I can see that my dad is not happy. And my dad cannot hide his emotions. He just, he wears it on his face. And, and I, my dad and I get along really well. And I would probably say there have been four or five times over the course of our life where we have had our disagreements. And a lot of it starts with me seeing his expression to something that I've done, his facial expressions, and me reacting to that. And I never react well to that stuff. Um, and so in this case, as soon as I see his face in my head, I start fuming. Because I know he's not happy. And I'm like, come on. Like, I got here like an hour early. I had already walked by this spot. I sent you a message. Anyway, turns out he didn't get the message. I'll, I'll come back to that in, in, in a bit. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm really mad. And, and I can feel my face gets red. And my ears are red. And we don't really say much. But we're both not happy. And so then I go into silence mode, which is something that I have done a lot in my past. When I get angry, I get silent, uh, thinking that that's the best way to handle a situation. It's like I don't want to say anything I regret, um, which, by the way, is not a great way. When you use silence as a – I'm going to put this in quotation marks – but when you use silence as a weapon um, to kind of shut people out or to isolate them or whatever, that's, that's not a cool – not not a cool way to handle things. But anyway, uh, at the time, that was sort of my go-to when I was upset. And so that's what I did. And so we had this uncomfortable, uh, we're standing in line for like an hour in, in a train line with no exchange at all. My poor niece is just like, hey, what's going on? 
Um, and we get on the train and, you know, we get our seats. And then I started thinking about it. I thought, we've got, like, we're going to be in Niagara Falls for two days. Like, this is stupid. So, you know, I just went to my dad and I said, listen, I'm sorry. You know, I, I thought I had done everything right here, you know, but listen, I'm sorry, you know, for my reaction. And, and then we were cool and everything and everything was fine. What is interesting for me is that um, for the next four or five days, whenever I would think about that story, I went, it wasn't so much, it was, I didn't go into blame game mode where I was blaming someone else. And in this case, my father, because he didn't do anything wrong. But I realized that um, I went into defense mode where I was defending for four or five days was defending why I was right with everything that I did. Um, and I had a moment, I, I, I don't exactly know what sparked the moment, but I do believe I had already listened to that conversation of that clip with, with, that I shared with DHH. And so that was already, that was a seed that was already planted and something really fascinating happened because I asked myself a question about four or five days after this happened. And it's like, the question was, what could I have done differently? So that outcome never happened and that was a fascinating question for me to ask myself and um, when I asked it I began to see all the mistakes that I made and there were three and so what I'd like to do now is I'd like to go back so I told you this story I want to go back now and I actually wanted to um, point out the three major mistakes that I made, and I and I'll talk about the mistakes in chronological order as they happened. So the first mistake that I made was that on Friday night, when I was going home, I had concocted a plan in terms of what I was going to do. I never shared that plan with my father. What I should have done when I got home, I should have got on the phone and I should have said, "Hey, Daddy O." Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave at 6 o'clock. I'm probably going to get to the train station about 6.20. There's a Starbucks that's seven minutes away. Um, I'm going to send you a link to the map so you know where that is, just so you know where I'm going to be. I'm going to work there until around 7.15, and then I'm going to walk over, and that's going to take me about seven or eight minutes. I should be there by 7.25, so don't panic because I'm already going to be in the area. And to top it off, I'm going to text you in the morning uh, to let you know when I've arrived at the Starbucks. So if I had shared the plan, then again, none of this would have happened. So that's the first mistake. The second mistake, and I, I mentioned this earlier. So when I get to Starbucks Saturday morning, I send him a text. I send him an iMessage. He didn't get the iMessage. And now I should, there's a couple of things here that I need to explain because this is important to understand for the story. I have a phone, but I don't have a phone. I have a phone, but it does not have a phone number attached to it, which means nobody can call me ever. This has been going on since 2011. So I think this is my eighth year now without a phone number. Um, now I can call people. I have a Skype. Uh, I use Skype. There's a, there's a, uh, a plan on Skype cost me $35 a year. I can call any cell phone or landline, but who has a landline anymore? My goodness, nobody does, but I can call a landline if you have one. Um, if you're stuck in the 1900s, I can still call you, but, um, 
uh, but you can't call me. And that uh, has worked particularly well. But there are moments like that day where that's not uh, that doesn't work in my favor because um, if if I'm late, nobody can get a hold of me. So um, so and I was uh, I had actually just bought a, an iPhone. I had an iPhone five. Um, so I was new to iPhone and I was new to iMessage. I had only learned about iMessage. Um, Maybe a couple of weeks before, a friend of mine had told me about iMessage. And so for those of you who, who don't have, um, uh, don't own an iPhone, if, if people who have iPhones, there's iMessage, you can iMessage each other, uh, iPhone to iPhone. And so my father had an iPhone, so I sent him an iMessage. What I didn't realize was that he had to be online in order to get that message. So I didn't know that. So I just assumed when I sent the message that it would just pop up on his phone and he'd be like, oh, okay, Dean's at Starbucks. So he didn't get it. So um, so that was that was problematic in and of itself was that I didn't, I was new to this, um, this way of communicating. I didn't fully understand it. So I made some assumptions that I never should have made. But here's what, <clears throat> here's, here's what I could have done that would have eliminated that problem completely. Call him when I got to Starbucks because the downside of sending a text message or an email, and you've had this, um, it, it's the most common way that we communicate with people, but it's not the most effective way to communicate um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, one of them being, we don't know for certain whether somebody actually got our message or not. And so I know on iPhone you can you know it can show when somebody's read the message, but even then it doesn't mean they've read it. They may have just seen it come through, but they're doing something else, and so they didn't actually get a chance to read it yet. So it's it's not a great way to go through life, assuming that people have gotten your messages. If I had called him, and again I was online, so I was I had the ability to call his phone. If I had just called him and said, "Hey," Daddy-o, I'm here. Uh, no need to worry. I'm going to uh, work a few extra minutes here and then I'm going to walk over. It's only going to take me about seven or eight minutes, but I'm literally like just down the street from here already. Again, problem solved. So that was the second mistake I made. But here's the, here's the third mistake. And you've, you've probably already heard this mistake a couple of times. Um, and you're, you're probably already thinking about it before I tell you. On Friday night, we go down to the train station and we agree where we're going to meet, and we agree on the time. Uh, we were to be there at 7.15. I left Starbucks at 7.15 and got there at 7.23. If I had kept my end of the bargain and showed up when I said I was going to show up, all those other mistakes that I made would not have mattered because I got there when we said that we were going to meet. And that one was probably the most humbling of the three mistakes. Like, it's like, dude, you said, like, even though I thought he got the message, I didn't even, I don't think I clearly stated that I was going to stay a few extra minutes. I just kind of assumed, which again, you'll notice I've used that word a few times now, and that gets me in trouble so many times in my life. But I just assumed that, uh, you know, he knew I was in the area. So even if I showed up late, he wasn't going to panic. But that was, that was a mistake on my part too. If I had showed up when I said I was going to show up, that situation never, ever happens. And so that was really um, humbling for me, like to look at that situation and say, wow, like there were three mistakes that I made that would have eliminated 
that problem completely. But that was a real game changer for me in terms of like, if I begin accepting full responsibility. Now, in this case, um, um, I mean, I was. I was responsible. Right? I, I was initially focusing on my father's reaction, which which was totally... Um, you know, within his right to do, right? Like we had agreed on a time. I didn't show up when I said I was going to show up. It doesn't matter that, you know, like, oh yeah, but I sent a text and I didn't know you didn't get it. And all these things are just me defending all my behaviors. But when I sort of step back, it's like, wow, I could have completely eliminated all of this. So that was a major, major insight. And it was the first time that I consciously began to use this at-fault mindset. And this question was a game changer for me. What could I have done that would would have eliminated that outcome completely? So that's the end of my story. And those are the lessons from my story. But here's what I want to do now. I want to turn the show back around and I want to focus on you. And what I'd like to do here is I want to take this opportunity to really do a hard sell on why you should seriously consider I think I was going to say a different word there. Uh, why you should seriously consider adopting the at fault mindset. Now, I will say this. This is not an easy thing to do. We are hardwired as humans, to take the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is is essentially doing the thing that's the easiest. It doesn't mean it's doing the right thing. It's doing the thing that's the easiest, right? It is easier to lie than to tell the truth because telling the truth is hard and there might be consequences if I take ownership for something. Um, And so like in this particular situation, it is easier to blame others or to defend our actions than it is to say, hmm, I think I'm to blame here. Um, That's not an easy thing to do. It's humbling because that means we're admitting, oh my gosh, I made the mistake and, and we're telling other people that we made the mistake and that's a really, really hard position to put ourselves in. But I believe that the benefits from this have massive ramifications for our future. So I wanted to lay out the three benefits, why that you should seriously consider to begin the transition. I'm not saying that it's a light switch where you just say, okay, I'm not gonna take blame for everything that goes wrong in my life. Um, It's a transition uh, that you have to be, you know, that's going to start slowly, that I'm essentially planting the seed for the mindset, but you want to begin looking at catching yourself um, whenever something doesn't go the way it's planned. And and my transition, uh, it's not like something happens and boom, I go right into ad fault mindset. Uh, but what I'm finding now is I'm catching myself. The moment that I catch myself rationalizing my bad behavior, I'm like, that's a sign. I need to step back. What did I do to cause this? And so here are the three benefits um, for you to consider and why you should be adopting the mindset. And the first is, my friend, your personal growth will skyrocket. And here's why. You can't learn when you are in blame mode or defending mode. So the moment that I go into defending myself, I shut off all possibilities of learning. I did this unknowingly back um, in the early 90s. I was teaching in Columbia, Columbia, South America. And... Um, 
I had a, um, I was teaching grade six. One of my students, Jose, a really funny kid. We used to joke all the time in class. So anyways, we were in class one day and suddenly Jose is like, he's, he's standoffish. And the way that I would, um, and, and, and kind of giving me a bit of a hard time. And so what I would do with kids, if there was an issue, I would just ask them to go outside, stand out in the hall. And I would come out and I would talk to them because I didn't want to embarrass them in front of the class. And then we could figure out what was going wrong, you know, what was going on. So I go out in the hall. I'm like, like, Jose, what's going on? Why, why are you, you know, you, you're acting a little weird here. And essentially Jose came out. He actually started to cry. I felt so bad for this kid. But I had made what I thought was a harmless joke uh, it, to him that he really took offense to. And of course, I'm like, uh, well, dude, you're going to have to deal with that. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I'm, you know, listen, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that that, you know, that that had the impact that it had. And I'm so sorry. And I, I really thought about that later. And rather than say, well, it was just a joke, like it's, you know, I don't know why I go into that voice, but, um, you know, but rather than just defend it and say, well, it was just a joke, he's going to have to learn to deal with it. And think about how many times we've said that. I actually came to the realization that when it comes to humor, it's not funny if both people aren't laughing. So that was a big, that was a big insight for me was that like, wow, like humor is, we tend to to sort of justify a lot of our actions in those sorts of areas by saying, oh, no, no, I was just a joke. But listen, if they don't find it funny, then uh, then it's not funny. And so that was a big, big thing for me because I, I, I became a lot more aware of some of these comments that I used to make sometimes, and I stopped making those things. But again, I never would have uncovered that if I just spent time justifying my own behavior, saying, well, it was just a joke, and I hide behind that thing there. So the first thing, again, the first benefit is that there is incredible personal growth that happens when you transition from blaming and defending to looking at why you are at fault at a particular situation. The second benefit is that you are going to begin to consistently produce favorable outcomes. Because when you're in learning mode, you begin to see patterns in problematic behavior. Going back to the story with the train station, when I realized that the whole texting, I, I'd be, sorry. <laughs> I've got 12 ideas that all want to come out at once. Um, When I started thinking about everything that went wrong, I realized that texting and email is, even though it's the most common way that we communicate with people, it is way down the list in terms of the most effective way to deal with people. Uh, Again, because we don't know, we never know whether people got something or not. We're not there when we read it, so we don't know if they understand it the way we think it's supposed to come off. And uh, words that are just left to the other person to decipher, um, they can attach emotion to it that we did not intend for it to have. And so that was, again, a huge insight for me is like, man, you got to know, like I should have, in that case, I should not have sent an email. That was not the most effective way to communicate. If I had called, I would have been able to hear my dad's voice and know that he understood what was going on. And we could, again, could have eliminated all that. But again, that doesn't happen if I don't accept 100% responsibility for what happened. And then the third thing, uh, oh, sorry, one other extension I wanted to to make to that. Um, 
one of the uh, the offshoots of that situation is that what I start doing now, and I do this consistently, if I'm meeting you uh, for coffee or something somewhere, I always send a message now um, and I'll say, hey, listen, so here's the plan. Um, I'm planning on leaving my place at, at, at this time. I'm taking the subway down. It should only take about 20 minutes provided it's not late. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to text you when I'm leaving and then I'm going to text you when I arrive so you know. Um, and I just, again, it's me communicating my plan that that was one of the things I pulled away from that story was tell people what you're thinking. Don't make them be mind readers. And it really just eliminates a ton of anxiety that people have. And the third benefit is that you begin attracting more of what you want in life. Um, When I begin accepting full responsibility for things, um, what ends up happening, I mean, people, whether they realize it or not, whether they're conscious of it or not, begin to see the change. And if I stop blaming everybody else for things that go wrong, I automatically improve the quality of the relationships that I have with people. So if I'm willing to go into something and say, listen, I'm going to take full responsibility for this and I'd like to learn more about, you know, what I could do to, you know, to make sure this doesn't happen again. It changes the quality of the relationships that we have. And as we move forward with forward with this, uh, apparently that's a really difficult word to understand or to understand. I, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, but as we move forward with this, we begin in attracting more of what we want into life. So um, I wanted to just sort of, uh, before we we end the show, I wanted to talk about a couple of takeaways for you in terms of how you can begin to use this in in your life. And the first takeaway, you have to begin this shift, this transition to recognize that you play a role in everything that happens in your life, good and bad. We're always willing to accept praise when things go well, but when things go bad, we're not willing to say, yeah, you know what? I played a role in that too. We play a role in everything that goes wrong in our life. The second thing that you want to start transitioning to is recognizing that you have the power to choose. This is going to be a separate podcast because this is it was another game changing idea for me. In the book Man's Search for Meaning, uh, the author Viktor Frankl, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor, he talked about this idea that between stimulus and response, we have the power to choose. And and the way that I see this, I visualize it is literally thinking about this. There's a gap between stimulus and response. And then if I begin to train myself that I can widen the gap so I choose the responses I want rather than just simply reacting to something. So letting my anger get the better of me is that I have there's a, there's a moment where I recognize I can choose the response that I want and I respond in a way that allows my life to grow and expand rather than shrink it and make it smaller. Uh, and the third thing is to ask the question that I talked about earlier, and I'm telling you, this is such a powerful question. What could I have done so this situation never happened? And what I'm going to suggest you do is 
uh, a little exercise is to like think about a situation that's either currently hap- happening right now that you're not happy with or you can you can go back to a situation and I've done this and I continue to do this I, I go back to situations that were sort of unresolved in my past and I look at them and I'm like okay like what if I looked at that situation again but I take full responsibility for it, it is amazing the peace of mind um, I've got a few other stories in future podcasts that I'll share, but it is amazing that the peace of mind it now provides when I go back to that story, no defending, uh, no blaming, and I look at it and I go, what could I have done to eliminate that? I'm telling you, it's really, really powerful. So either go back to something in your past that still bothers you or something that's happening right now and ask the question, what could I do or what could I have done so that this thing never happened you will be amazed at what begins to open up for you and how your life begins to change so my friend that was the at fault mindset when you decide to take full responsibility for everything that goes wrong in your life you create the possibility for a future where a whole lot of good can happen So that is it for today's episode. But before you go, let me leave you with two things. First, what's the one big thing you took from this show? It could be something I said, but it could also be something completely unrelated that bubbled to the surface while listening. Don't ignore your thoughts. If they clawed their way to the surface of your gray matter, then it means they're important. Acknowledge them, honor them, and act on them if possible. Second, would you consider leaving a review? If so, here's my offer. Copy your iTunes review and send it to me via email with the subject line, my iTunes review. And in return, I'm going to send you a thank you audio, which will include me reading your review out loud with my authentic real-time response of how your words have impacted me. I don't know about you, but I think that's going to be awesome. Anyhow. That's it, my friend. I have to bounce. (laughs) Listen to me trying to be one of the cool kids. Have a great rest of today. And remember, you're just one mindset away from a bigger, more awesome future. I'm Dean Dwyer, and you were listening to The Mindset Show.